Welcome to the Bill Cartwright Show with our special guest, basketball superstar, Paul McKeskey. Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bill. Uh, thanks for using superstar. We we both know we both know I played for twelve years, but I kind of fooled them. So I just did my job, you know. <laughs> I tell you what, you playing the league, man. That's uh, yeah. that's an incredible accomplishment in itself. Uh, some guys celebrate one year and then then they're done. So yeah, absolutely. And this is what I want to do. I want everybody to kind of get to know you really quickly. Uh, talk about where you grew up and talk about mom and dad. I grew up in Southern California uh, in, uh, in San Fernando Valley. And, uh, and you well know, because uh, we're the same uh, age and the same uh, class that, uh, you know, California and especially Southern California back then was the hotbed of uh, high school basketball. I mean, I, you know, uh, uh, you know, you're up north. Uh, we had David Greenwood, Roy Hamilton, Bill Lambeer, Reggie Theus, Brad Holland. Um, there's a few more I'm missing there, all NBA guys in the same high school class. And, yeah. uh, and it's funny because I remember <clears throat> we played two games, the California All-Stars against the United States All-Stars. And we played one up by you guys in San, in San Francisco and then one down here, down in Southern California. And, you know... <sighs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, we kicked their butts, but, you know, you're talking about, you know, you, me, Bill Lampier, David Greenwood, Reggie Theus, Roy. <laughs> you know, I don't know if they had a chance against us. And, uh, uh, you know, I, it was just a great time in, in my life. Uh, my, my, my parents who are, are gone now, uh, they've been gone for a while. Um, you know, they, they raised me in Southern California. We were lower middle class. Um, uh, my dad was an accountant. My mom cleaned houses. Uh, it was interesting because she did clean houses for some of the movie stars or TV stars back in the day. And, um, you know, they're just, uh, I have a younger brother, younger sister, uh, both played a little basketball in high school, but that's, that's about it. Um, just a, a regular upbringing. I played, uh, I played baseball. I played football till it got to tackle. I didn't like getting hit. Um, you, you know, we, we just played every sport, you know, back then. Now it's so specified, uh, you know, with the sports and, you know, it, it is what it is, but you know, you know, there was no AAU basketball. So we played high school basketball. And then in the summer, we played in a summer league where our coaches couldn't coach us. We just coached ourselves. And, and I grew up on pickup basketball and in California and Southern California at that time, I mean, we knew where all the games were. You know, UCLA on Sunday afternoon, Pepperdine on Tuesday night, uh, in Compton on Wednesdays. And we just went to the gyms to find the best competition. And we did. It was, uh, you know, it was a rude awakening of, you know, you know, when you think you're the best in your little area, and then you spread out and you see there's a lot of good players out there. And the legendary games at Pepperdine when I grew up in high school, they played two courts and all the all the games, all the players were they were Lakers, they were Clippers, they were Bruins, they were Trojans. They they were all like just accomplished basketball players, and I actually got to play uh, uh, against Will Chamberlain in those games wow. back then. He had been retired for about five or ten years, but he was playing um, uh, competitive volleyball, and you know, but uh, you know, 
I ended up I, I ended up going to Kansas, and uh, you know, so playing against Will Chamberlain, in my opinion, the goat uh, was something phenomenal. I mean, he 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 pretty much played to get stay in shape. So you know, he rebounded and passed the ball, unless you pissed him off. And if you pissed him off, he was going to block every one of your shots, and he was going to dunk on your head. So needless to say, we kind of kept him happy. But uh, you know, growing up in Southern California, you know, back then, you know, it was just uh, you know. My life was, you know, a few of my friends and basketball. And, uh, you know, that's where I thrive. And can you talk about your high school teams and talk about uh, who really mentored you? I was fortunate when I was young. I had um, an older cousin who was like three years older. He's a really good player. And then during the summer, we played against all college kids. And I, and I had a really uh, uh, tough coach. So who kind of uh, mentored you in high school? Well, there there's two coaches back then that really affected my life and, you know, and my future. Um, when I was in seventh grade, you know, like, you know, you know, I was the tallest guy in the class, but I wasn't very coordinated. And, you know, so um, there was, a, I went to Our Lady of the Valley in San Fernando Valley. Uh, you know, I was taught by this, the nuns and, um, uh, there's a priest there. His name was Father Davis, and uh, he was the cool priest. He 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 rode a motorcycle, had a leather jacket, and he played basketball. He loved basketball, so he taught me. You know, I my dad played ball, so you know, but he got me on the team uh, as a seventh grader, and I wasn't very good, but he kept me involved and kept me encouraged. And uh, uh, you know, uh, finally, you know, on my eighth. In eighth grade, I really became a good player and one of the better players in that area. Uh, but then after uh, my eighth grade, uh, and I graduated from eighth grade, getting ready to go to Crespi High School in Encino, uh, he went to my my dad and said, listen, there's some great pickup games around here in the summer, but they don't start till like eight or nine at night. Uh, so I, I'll take I'll take uh, Paul with me and we'll go play pickup games and I'll get him back. We won't be home till about 11 or 12, uh, 12 but I'll get him home and so he took me up to all these. I was 6'2 in eighth grade, you know, so I played center on the eighth grade team. But when I went in these gyms, I was a guard. They threw me in at the guard playing as men. You know, I got knocked down. I got made fun of probably. <clears throat> but I learned how to get back up and not let it affect me and, and to try and get better. Um, so he's the one that really started me on this journey. Uh, and then I went to Crespi High School in Encino. It's an all-boys school taught by the Carmelite Brothers. Um, uh, who, uh, and there, uh, my coach as a freshman was, uh, Bill Hedlund and Bill Hedlund, uh, was a math teacher, classic. He was like, he was like six, three and built. I mean, he lifted weights and back then no one really lifted weights, but in class he had the white shirt with the pocket thing with all the pens in it and stuff. <laughs> and, uh, but he, he had actually played at Long Beach state for Jerry Tarkanian. And uh, so I, I would I went under him as a freshman and, and learned how to, uh, you know, uh, be the, a better player, all around player. He had me at six, eight, uh, taking the ball out and helping break the press and doing all the stuff that the big guys do now. But he had me doing it back then. And he actually um, followed us up my freshman year. We were undefeated. Uh, my sophomore year, we were undefeated. And then my junior year, we lost a few games in my senior year. Um, I think we lost two games the whole year, and, and uh, uh, but he was, 
he was a kind of like Tartanian, kind of an innovator of the game. And we played a little zone, but we played man to man. And uh, you know, he encouraged me. You know, you know how it is when you're young. And in high school, I, I went from six five to six eight to six eleven in like three years. You know? Wow! But, but I I weighed like a buck eighty. So, you, know, like, you know, but. Uh, and, and I had frizzy hair. It didn't. It was kind of awkward. But he didn't have me just go down and put my hands up. He had me play in a regular position and and play the game the way it should be. And you know, uh, being uh, awkward and kind of out of place in society. But when I was on the basketball court, I fit in, and, and that was my that was my get away from everything. And that's where you know I really uh, you know it was my sanctuary. The basketball court was my sanctuary. So. You know, I, I did go to class. I did get a 3-0. Uh, I did graduate. But I spent hours and hours. If it wasn't on the practice court, it was in my front yard, shooting baskets or at the junior high across the street by myself, just shooting baskets and trying to get better. So you're about to leave high school. And obviously, you, you're one of the better players in California. And you're known nationally. So if you end up in Kansas now, how does a kid from California, you're, you're in Kansas. How, how does that happen? Yeah, I, uh, uh, I was a, a Bruins fan, UCLA, since I was little and watching uh, uh, Lou Alcindor, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and then Bill Walton and John Wooden. And uh, I would watch all their games. They were tape delayed on Friday night at 11 o'clock and, you know, I was a Bruin fan through and through. Um, and uh, as I got better, I was recruited by pretty much every school, similar to what you were. Um, uh, there, there was a, I was, we were close to being teammates, though, at, at USF. Um, those guys, your coaches were really recruiting me. And the sell point was, we got a great player in Bill Cartwright coming, and you can play power forward. You know, and every big guy wants to play <laughs> And, and you know you can you can you know you can play power forward next to Bill. We would have been an unbelievable team. But uh, uh, so I was recruited by everybody. You know, took visits to UCLA, um, USC, Arizona, uh, uh, all, all over the country, North Carolina. But when when I visited Kansas, you know, the campus is not what people think. When you go to Kansas, it's on a hill. It's grass. It's brick buildings, uh, ivory on the building. You know, it's it's uh, uh, it's like if you close your eyes, that's what a college campus would look like. And then I got into Allen Fieldhouse and, uh, you know, the house that Will built. And uh, it was just a special feeling. I was grew up in Southern California. Like I said, we didn't have much money. I didn't have a, we didn't have a nice car. Um, and when I went to other schools, you know, it's kind of like I don't really fit in here. Even UCLA, when I went to Kansas, if with the with the students that met me, the teachers, the people on campus, it just felt like it was home, and I was more like a Midwest kind of guy. And uh, you know, a lot of people surprised a lot of people. And the bottom line is, I tell this story a lot. It was the year that uh, uh, John Wooden retired, and uh, I still to this day because Gene uh, Bartow took over. Uh, who was a, a really good coach. And they came in the living room and made their pitch to us. And it to this day, if John Wooden would have came in my living room and offered me a scholarship to UCLA, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I would have signed it. 
And that would have changed my life because I, I met my wife of 41 years, Linda, at Kansas. We have two sons. So that would have drastically changed it if John Wooden was still there. So uh, I ended up at Kansas because I really enjoyed it. And, you know, back then, the NCAA recruiting rules were pretty lenient. And uh, the assistant coach at Kansas pretty much lived at the Holiday Inn down the road from our house for about a month straight. He would be at my house talking to my parents before I got home from school. I'm like, what are you doing here? <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just, it was a, it was a hard decision that, you know, taking those uh, recruiting trips, like, you know, is, you know, there's, it sells, it's a sales pitch. And they, you know, they, and it was the first time I ever been on an airplane. It was the first time I really ate in nice, nice restaurants, you know, and every time I went to a, on a road trip where we'll, out on a trip, I'm like, wow, this is awesome. I want to go here. And then next weekend, I go somewhere else. Oh, this is awesome. I want to go here. And uh, my dad and mom were grounded people. And I say, listen, you will know when you hit the right place because it's really going to stick out. And when I got off the plane um, coming back from Kansas and my dad picked me up to the airport uh, in L.A. And, and brought me home, he looked at me and said, you're going there, aren't you? And I said, what do you mean? He said, I can see in your face you're going to Kansas. And he was right. <laughs> yeah, that's really amazing. You know, I didn't have that problem because I didn't want to leave California. So, <laughs> uh, but I did visit uh, UCLA, SC, and uh, I was really led to USF. Um, a couple of their guys had come down and watched and played with me at, at my high school. So, um it sounded like your decision was a little bit uh, harder than mine. I, I, I knew I wanted, I didn't want to be in any part of snow. But yeah, uh, so I'm, I'm right there now. I live in Las Vegas and I never want to see snow again. <laughs> so talk about uh, Kansas, talk about your coach and talk about uh, some of your favorite players. Yeah, uh, you know, I went like picking up a guy that grew up in Southern California never really been on a plane till I was recruited and, and picking up everything and moving to Kansas halfway across the country, not knowing anybody. I met some of the players on the trip and all that, but it was a big step for me, but one that kind of, I knew I was ready for it. Uh, I wanted to push myself and get out of my comfort zone. Um, and uh, coach Ted Owens was my coach at Kansas. And this past year, about two months ago, it was the 125-year anniversary of Kansas basketball. And uh, there was, I think, about 200 of us back, um, you know, uh, from Paul Pierce to, you know, uh, all these guys over the years to Walt Wesley. Uh, JoJo White used to come, but he's passed away, you know, rest in peace, JoJo. And, you know, it was just a, a reunion of everybody. And Coach Owens, you know, after Coach Owens, there was Larry Brown, there was Roy Williams, and now there's Bill Self. So just spectacular coaches. And everybody tends to forget Ted Owens, who one of the reasons I went to Kansas is because the year before, I was watching the Final Four, and Kansas was in the Final Four. And they had kind of cool blue, blue uniforms with this uh, Jayhawk on it. I didn't know what it was, but it looked kind of cool to me. Uh, and he's the one, as a young coach, put Kansas – uh, on the map. I mean, Kansas basketball history, uh, you know, James Naismith, uh, uh, the inventor of the game, was the athletic director at, at Kansas. And, you know, Fog Allen, one of the greatest coaches ever, was the first coach at Kansas. And, 
know, so there's a great history there. And, and Coach Ted Owens has kind of forgot, but he was there for 18 years. And we didn't have the success I really wanted. We went to the to the West Regionals my junior year where we had a really good team and lost to UCLA, actually. Um, but uh, he promised my parents, <clears throat> like a lot of people, but he promised – one thing he promised my parents that a lot of coaches didn't talk about, he said, I guarantee – if Paul comes to Kansas, when he graduates, I'm going to make I'm going to have, he's going to graduate. I'm pushing to graduate and he's going to be not only a better basketball player, but he's going to be a better person and he's going to be a better man when he leaves here. And I told him two years ago at 66 with two grown sons and a wife of 41 years, I said, coach, you, you did your job. You accomplished your promise that you promised my parents. And that was that was what Coach Owens was about, and that's part of the reason I went to Kansas was that coach. And uh, we had some some great players, uh, Donnie Von Moore from Chicago, uh, uh, Herb Nobles from St. Louis, Ken Kanings, who was my roommate for three years. He was from Wichita. Uh, probably the best player known that I played with there was Darnell Valentine, the point guard who uh, was drafted by Portland and played in the NBA. And, uh, he was a freshman when I was a junior, so we played two years together. But uh, I still keep a lot of those uh, friendships alive. Um, you know, it was, you, you know, Bill, there's all these one and dones and guys. I, I understand you, you go for the money and, you know, you go for more years of, of uh, income. I understand that. But at the same time, there's no amount of money. And there's no amount of, uh, of fame that would take away from the four years I spent in Kansas growing as a man, <clears throat> learning how to succeed uh, at, at, on my own, uh, and also having a great team around me and, and walking on campus and going to class. And, you know, your only worry is the test you got on Friday and then where you're going Friday night. You know, I mean, I don't, <clears throat> I understand these, these, these young kids coming out early, but I kind of, you know, I kind of feel sorry for them because then they're not going to get what we got by going to college for those years. And that's, those are years you'll, I mean, I'm looking over here and my jersey's hanging up here and that brings back every day in my office. It brings back different memories of friends and, and relationships and experiences that some of these young players will never have. Yeah, you are right. Uh, and it is kind of hard to imagine we've been out of college for um, 40 years. So, um, because as you know, I still do some work at, uh, at USF and it's refreshing to spend time with them, but, uh, 40 years, man, 40 years. So now you graduated from Kansas and it's NBA time. Uh, we, we knew you were having a great time in Kansas. So we all did. So let me ask you a question. Uh, were you ready and talk about your first team. Yeah, I think, I don't know if any of us are ready, ready. Um, you know, because in, in college, you know, you're around a team and you, you go to team, you know, you are on your own during the off season and doing your own thing. But during the season, you have team meetings and, and uh, team meals. And, you know, when you fly, they could, you know, everyone eats together. But in the NBA, as you know, uh, that's professional and you get with the team. Uh, that they're, they're, they're pros, they're men, they have their own lives. So after practice, you know, in college after practice, hey, you want to go grab a beer at this place or you want to 
you want to go grab uh, a meal here? Uh, you know, in the pros, it's like, you know, hey, you want to, I'm going home to my family, young man. So <laughs> you do what you want to do. And um, <clears throat> I think I was ready basketball-wise. I think I was ready competitiveness-wise because I was drafted in the second round. There, Like yourself and David Greenwood and Reggie Theus and all these, all these guys that were drafted in the first round, you know, I knew you guys and, and I knew, but I was drafted in the second round and, you know, I knew it was going to be a battle from the beginning. And I was drafted by, in the second round by the Houston Rockets. And uh, when I went there, um, that team was full of veterans. Uh, um, uh, Mike Dunleavy, Rudy Tomjanovich, Calvin Murphy, Rick Barry was on that team. Uh, 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 and, and the one guy that I learned more from just by practicing him against, and God rest his soul, Moses Malone was there. And Moses was, uh, uh, I think he was MVP that year. You know, so uh, my goal was to just make that team. All I want to do is make that team. If I can make that team, because my ultimate goal was the last 10 years in the league. I don't know why that number was. I want to stay 10 years. And uh, <clears throat> I learned right off the bat that <clears throat> even though I was talented and I could do, you know, I could shoot the ball and do some stuff, that's not how I was going to last in the league because I look around and, you know, there's Calvin Murphy and there's Rudy Tomjanovich and there's Moses. I mean, right? come on, man, I can't compete with them. So how am I going to stay in this league? Well, I'm going to do what a lot of guys don't want to do. I'm going to play really hard. I'm going to, I'm going to hustle and dive on the floor and, and uh, be in shape and, and be ready at all times. And one of the guys, uh, for people out there that don't know uh, Calvin Murphy, you, you need to look him up. Calvin Murphy was one of the greatest under 60 players ever in the league. And uh, he had a, a, he could stop on a dime and pop for a jump shot at, you know, 20 feet, uh, really fast. He was a Golden Gloves uh, boxer when he was young. Uh, he was a world-class baton twirler. He was just, and he was an interesting guy. So when I got into camp after a few days, uh, he started calling me Tonka. I'm like, why are you calling me Tonka? He says, because you play like a truck. You're like a truck. I said, oh, okay. Okay. And he said, hey, Tom, do you want to make this team? I said, yes, sir. I want to make this team. He said, all you got to do is set picks for me. Just set picks for me and get me open and you'll make this team. So in training camp, Bill, all I did was uh, go go find uh, uh, Calvin, set a pick. Go find Calvin, set a pick. Go Calvin. I, I was setting picks. I was setting five picks. In a, and guess what? I made the team. <laughs> so I kind of realized my you know, my niche early on. And, and uh, those guys, Rudy Tomjanovich uh, went to the same high school as my dad. You know, he was younger. He grew up in Hamtramck in Detroit, where my dad did the Polish section of Detroit. And he kind of took me under my wing. But the main mentorship, and I think, and I, I, I don't know if you agree with me, I bet you do, is there's not enough mentorship in the NBA anymore. And back then, the older guys or the veteran guys would take you under their wing. Now they would give you a lot of crap now, you know, you got to get their bags in the airport. You got to do all this stuff, but they would teach you stuff and, uh, and even subtle stuff. And Moses, I mean, you know, you play against Moses and Moses sometimes was hard to understand. You know, it's like he, he kind of mumble and stuff, but he was so smart and such a great guy. And in practice, I would have to guard him all the time. 
man, guarding Moses Malone in practice is no easy chore. He did crazy stuff. I mean, he, he would throw the ball over his right shoulder, spin around, go get the rebound, put it in. And I was like, well, who does that? And he, he would just do that. And But the one thing I learned from him most of all was you need to play hard all the time. No days off. You know, there was no load management back then. No days off. And the, what really sunk in about halfway through the year, and let's be truthful, Moses was playing 44 minutes a game when I was playing four minutes. You know, because <laughs> he, he was relentless. We went on a road trip. And back then, you know, those road trips could be two, almost three weeks long. Yeah. And, uh, and at the end of the road trip, we lost a game. We were terrible. And we got off the plane, and Del Harris was our coach, Coach Del Harris, and he was mad. Uh, so he uh, said, okay, guys, we're going right from the plane, uh, right from the airport. We're going to the gym. We're going to practice. You know, and back in you know, college, the pros, you don't really do that. But anyway, so we went to the gym, and uh, I'd watch Moses for three weeks on the road trip, you know, have to, you know, guard Kareem and, and guard Daryl Dawkins and guard uh, Kevin McHale. You know, I, I, I want – you know, and so in practice, you know, we were doing some drills and scrimmage. I was kind of take it easy on him. You know how that goes. You're like kind of brother-in-law, you know, kind of half guard him and stuff. And he turned around and got right in my face and screamed at me. Don't you ever take it easy on me in practice. Never take it easy on me in practice because no one in the games is going to take it easy, easy on me in a game. So don't you ever take it easy on me in practice. And I was taken aback, but it, that I remember that the rest of my career. Wow. So, now, how many years were you in uh, Houston? I was in Houston my rookie year and then uh, for training camp of my second year. And then I got the NBA professional <laughs> welcome. I was traded to Detroit uh, for a second round pick about two days before the season started. <laughs> and I had... It was Moses Malone, and then uh, I, I know you'll remember uh, Steve Hayes, a six, a seven-footer from Idaho. Uh, yeah. You know, he, he played in the league for a while, and we were battling for that last spot. And the coaches let us know that you guys are battling for that spot. And we, we, we practiced after practice. We ran extra sprints and trying to get that spot. Well, two days before the season, they traded for Billy Pulse, the Whopper, who is a veteran backup. And and uh, they traded me to Detroit, and they cut Steve. So neither of us made the team. So, uh, you know, I was really shook up uh, because I thought I'd be in Houston with these guys for a few more years, and I was I was mad. Uh, and uh, I went to Detroit kind of with a chip on my shoulder. But as you know, a lot of times in basketball, just like life, uh, you know, uh, your 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 biggest disappointment is your best opportunity. So when I went to Detroit, uh, they, they didn't have a very good team. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, John Long, uh, Terry Tyler, Kent Benson, uh, you know, a group like that that were struggling. So I was – I actually got there, and after about three weeks of practice, I, I started that year, and I played in every, every but one game. And that was actually my best year. It kind of established me as, hey, this guy can be – uh, maybe a starter, but at least a backup in this league. So my biggest, one of my biggest disappointments, disappointments turned into my best opportunities that kind of springboarded my career because as a second round backup center, you know, there's so many questions and, 
you know, I was the guy in the hotel room that had the list of the 18 guys in camp and some guy was to be sent home. I marked that off and I'm close to making that team. So, but when I went to Detroit, uh, I got to play a lot um, and, uh, and all the games and it, and it really actually showed me, Hey, I can be a player and, and a significant player in this league, you know, and that showed me that. And then the next year, they drafted some guy named uh, Isaiah Thomas and uh, Kelly Trapuca, and that was the, the beginning of that turnaround. So was uh, was was Chuck Daly here? Was Chuck Daly your coach? No. Um, um, oh man, uh, Don Cheney became the coach uh, the year after I got there. Scotty Robertson, who was the head coach at Houston couple of years before was the first head coach. Um, and then uh, Don Cheney took over the next year. And then uh, here's the other kicker. So um, I, I played that the first year up there. I played a lot. was a starter, part-time starter. The second year I started training camp and we had Isaiah coming in. And I'm, I'm going, man, we're turning around. We're going to be a team now, you know? And uh, so I, I had gotten married to Linda, my wife, uh, um, that summer. So uh, uh, right before trade deadline around Christmas, I went into uh, uh, Jack McCluskey, who was the general manager. And I said, listen, I'm th we're thinking about buying a house here. And, and you know, it's going to be our first house. And, oh, yeah, no problem. You're part of our, our future forever. And you, you really, we love you here. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we went out and bought a house. And. Uh, 15 minutes before the deadline, uh, even before we made the first payment on our house, I was traded to Cleveland. <laughs> and it was it was me, it was me and Phil Hubbard for Kenny Carr and Bill Lambeer in that trade. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the NBA for sure. So now you're with the Cavs. Talk about that. Now you with the Cavs for two years. So talk about uh, who's your coach and talk about uh, some of the guys. Yeah, um, everyone who's watching March Madness sees, uh, uh, has seen until last night, Eric Musselman, who coaches uh, Arkansas, uh, who's a really good coach. Well, I played for his dad, Bill Musselman, uh, yeah. in Cleveland, who yeah, was – they, uh, they, they, uh, they, Thank goodness he, he wasn't taking his shirt off. I know. I don't know. That's so – yeah, but uh, Bill was just as crazy too. I mean, he was a he was a hard nosed guy. One of the hardest training camps I've ever been through, um, uh, you know. And we weren't we weren't very good. Uh, we had some. We had Bobby Wilkerson and Paul Silas, some veterans, um, but we weren't a very good team. And you know, we struggled throughout that year. Uh, we played out in Richfield in that that. Big empty uh, Richfield Coliseum out there in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, literally, Bill, you played out there. And, I, we I, were, I have. Yeah, we were bad. I mean, there's, I mean, really, thousand people in the 18th. I mean, you could hear, you know, you could hear people making comments while they eat their nachos. You know, you know, this team sucks. You know, I mean, <laughs> they didn't have to yell it. You could hear it, and um, uh, you know, so. Uh, it, it, what, it, what, it was a learning experience. I got to start a lot again and play uh, and kind of establish myself as an NBA player, but it was a struggle. Um, and, and then the next year, we, uh, 
we did we did get a little better and uh um uh you know we were on the upswing a little bit and then uh, it was the crazy years of um I mean, I can't remember the owner of Cleveland. He was kind of a crazy guy. I want to say Epstein, but it's not. Anyway, um, he decided that uh, he traded away all his draft picks for veteran guys. And, you know, uh, there's a rule in the NBA now that you can't do that anymore. Um, so it was a crazy time. But I was starting on that team. And I was, I was averaging 12 and 8 or something, you know, doing really well. And then uh, – <laughs> Right before the trade deadline again, uh, our guaranteed contracts around Christmas time again, um, I'm packed for a, a trip out west to a three-week trip. And I get a call, and I'm sitting in the kitchen with my wife, you know, getting ready to, to leave for the airport. And they say, uh, they call me and say they, they cut me. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm starting. And, and I'm playing well, and, and you cut me? Yeah, we, and, and I said, well, couldn't you trade me? Couldn't, nobody wanted me. You couldn't get anything for me? No, no, nobody was interested. You know, the reason they cut me was they already had 12 guaranteed contracts. And even though I was starting, I was the 13th guy with a non-guarantee. So, you know, back then, you know what the money was. It was probably 80 grand or something. You know, so they're going to save their money. And uh, I was pretty devastated until I called my agent. And he started calling around. And after uh, after a few hours, he said, he said, Paul, I got six teams interested. We we to decide which one we're going to pick. And, you know, uh, there's a bunch of good teams. But um, that's when I, Milwaukee, we talked to Milwaukee and we looked at their roster. They had Bob Lanier, who probably had a couple more years left at a starting center. Uh, shoot, they had Marcus Johnson, Sidney Monk. They had a really good team. And uh, in my thought process. I said, you know what? I can go there and be a backup for a year or two to Bob and then maybe step in that starter spot. <clears throat> so I chose Milwaukee. And uh, right after Christmas, I went to stay in Milwaukee. I signed a 10-day contract, then another con then 10-day contract, then a contract for the rest of that year and another year. And that's where I started my eight-year journey in Milwaukee. So that was another thing of, you know, a devastating uh, account turned into one of the best opportunities of my life. <laughs> yeah, now who was coaching there? Don Nelson was there. Don and, was uh, that's right. You know, Don Nelson was uh, a great coach, think-out-of-the-box coach, players coach. He played with the Celtics for all those years. He was a gruff guy, didn't pull any punches. I mean, he would say what he wants to say. And, uh, and he expected you. He was kind of a coach – one of the first coaches that said, here, here's what you're supposed to do, Bill. You're supposed to do this, this, and this, and this you're accountable for. And if you do that, everything's fine. But if you don't, we got a problem. Instead of staying on top of you all the time, everything was fine if you did what you're supposed to do. And I liked that because that was the kind of player I was, you know. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And uh, I, I really fit in with that group. And that group, um, Sidney Moncrief and, and, and those guys, Bob Lanier and Harvey Ketchings and those guys really put me in the, even as a 10 day, they took me in the family like I was family. Like after one of the first practices, Sidney Moncry said, Hey, Paul, what are you doing? So I'm staying at the hotel. I'm just, you only get you know, something to eat at the hotel. He said, No, uh, we're, you're going to come with me. And what we did was we went to visit Children's Hospital in Milwaukee and visit the kids and their parents. 
And uh, then he took me out to dinner and said, I do this, you know, once a week or twice a week. And, and eventually I actually had a golf tournament for Children's Hospital years later that raised over $300,000. And, you know, but that was the kind of people that I really, you know, they were, they were just the players, you know, the players now, you know, Bill, and a lot of times there's headaches on a team, right? And if they're good enough headaches, you keep them. If they're bad at headaches, if they're not good enough, if they're not talent, it doesn't overweigh their, their headacheness. You get rid of them. Those teams in Milwaukee, there was no headaches on the team. No one had problems. You know, everyone got along. Um, you know, obviously there was, you know, in the 82-game season, some stuff came up. But, you know, it was more like a family. And, and same with the community in Milwaukee. And, and my wife and I both had our sons in Milwaukee. We had our sons in Milwaukee kind of became part of that that whole uh, uh, Midwest uh, Milwaukee thing. That's why they call it Milwaukee. (laughs) (laughs) So um, what was your best, uh, your team's best year you guys had there? Because I I do remember Don Nelson. You know, Don Nelson is the only coach uh, that I saw, like, smoking a cigarette. He was smoking, he was smoking. I remember walking out and he's got, he's smoking a cigarette at halftime. I'm like, he's smoking a cigarette? Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what, that first 10 day, we're playing in the old Mecca, in the old, old Mecca. And, you know, I'm all excited to be here. It's 10 day and whatever. And I go in the locker room at halftime and, and uh, Bob Lanier and Don Nelson are back in the shower area smoking cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and smoke's coming everywhere. I'm like, wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's real old school there. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, you played in the Boston Garden. I mean, you come back at halftime in the Boston Garden, the whole upper level is filled with smoke. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the same thing in uh, Madison Square Garden, even though it yeah. wasn't uh, cigarette smoke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm in Vegas now. That's everywhere. <laughs> oh, you had a great experience at Milwaukee. And now, yeah, and I'll tell you, Bill, you know, because you played us. Um, I think the Milwaukee teams of the 80s are really overlooked because we always won 50 plus games. We always did well in the playoffs, but we never got over the hump. So if we, and then back then it was Boston Celtics with the great teams, probably one of the best teams ever in 85, you know, with Bill Walton coming off the bench and a bunch of Hall of Famers. And then there was Philly with Moses Malone and Dr. Yeah. J. And we would get by either the Bulls or Atlanta or whoever. And then we'd always run into, we'd beat Philly, and then we'd lose to Boston. And the next year we'd beat Boston, and we'd lose to Philly. So we never got to the NBA Finals. The fact that the, the closest we got, I remember, was Bob Lanier's last year, probably 84, 83 maybe. And uh, uh, we had a great year, 57 game, whatever we won. And uh, everyone was trying to win the championship for Bob. Bob, Bob, you played against Bob and he was a, a really good player, but his knees were like shot. He, he, uh, when I had a knee injury and I went to see the team doctor, uh, he said, well, you got this and this, but he said, let me show you these x-rays. And he put Bob's knees up there. So at least you're not that. <laughs> and so we, and we beat uh, uh, I think we had uh, beat Atlanta that year. They had a good team uh, with Dominique Wilkins. And then we beat, uh, we finally beat Philly 
um, and Dr. J's last game, I believe. And then we had a great series against Boston, and we played them well all year. And we got to game seven in Boston Garden. And uh, uh, and we knew if we win this game, we're going to play the Lakers in the West. And we had beat the Lakers twice that year because we were a bad matchup. For them. They wanted to run and gun with Magic, and we slowed the ball down. We're deliberate and physical. So we just got to win this one game. And we had it. We were, we were up by seven or eight with about three minutes left. And I'm thinking, we're going to go to the NBA Finals. And we could win this thing. And then freaking Larry Bird gets two corner threes right in front of our bench. And uh, I think we lose by three or something. So that was probably the best team and the best chance of moving on. And here's the kicker, uh, Bill. So my agent was in Boston. My wife was there for the game. So, you know, the old garden, you, you walk, you go down an elevator and you walk out into the street. You know, there's, there's the train station and you just – then all of you just go out there and just, you know, it's almost downtown Boston. And so I walk out there and I meet, you know, hug my wife and shake hands with my agent. And where are we going to go eat? We're going to get some seafood. And someone taps me on the shoulder and I turn around. It's Red Arvac. And he tapped me on the shoulder. He says, Hey, Mo, um, uh, you want to take a walk with me? I'm like, Yes, sir. So we walk around the, the corner there into the, in the alley by the Boston Garden. And he goes, I just want you to know that I really respect the way you play. You play hard. You would have you would have been a great Celtic. And uh, I, al I almost had a trade done for you years ago, but something happened. So I'm thinking, wow, uh, Red Arback is saying I'm a really good player and could be a Celtic. And at the same time, I'm going, damn, you didn't make that trade happen. I could have like three or four rings. <laughs> but you did get traded. Okay, so... Where'd you, where'd you go? Did you end up back in Cleveland? Yeah, yeah. I was a, <clears throat> I was a free agent. <clears throat> Del Harris had taken over then, and uh, I was a free agent. And and they, the organization was kind of going in a different way. They wanted to get younger, and I understand that. And uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, if you remember back that year, the year before, everyone will know this. The year before is when. Michael Jordan hit that shot on Craig Elo in the playoffs. Yeah. And, you know, and, uh, yeah, I, I was there. What's that? I was there. Oh, were you? Yeah. Yeah. And we, uh, I was in Atlanta airport. We just beat the, the Hawks and we're going back to Milwaukee and we watched that game. But anyway, I, I you know, I looked at the, their roster and you look at Mark Price, Hot Rod Williams. Larry Nance, Brad Doherty, uh, Craig Elo, um, Steve Kerr was on that team. I'm like, man. And uh, uh, Wayne Embry was the GM, and he was the GM in Milwaukee when I was there. And uh, he called us up and said, hey, um, I want to sign you to a one-year deal here in Cleveland. We're an up-and-coming team. We can make a run at this thing. Because you remember back then, Ron Harper was going to be the next Michael Jordan. And the Cavs were going to take the, the – the uh, Bulls spots, you know, they were, you know, they were going to be the up and coming and the Bulls, you guys were kind of, you know, getting a little bit older. So that was the thought process. I'm like, okay, that works. And then, you know, after that, after the year, then um, we're going to redo your deal and have to sign you to another three years. And that's pretty much how I'm going to end my career out. You know, I'm like, okay, that's cool. It was my best contract. So I went there for a year and uh, uh, 
uh, we were a good team, man. I loved setting picks for Mark Price and Hot Rod Williams and Larry Nance were great forwards, just really good players. Uh, and then uh, you'll know this, Brad Dory was one of the best uh, younger centers coming up. Yeah, you know, he, was. He, he could pass, he could score, he was big, he had that big butt. <clears throat> He's a great guy. And I'm going to back him up. I'm like, that's cool. And then he got some funky foot injury that wouldn't heal. And uh, I can, <clears throat> the last few years, I've had, you know, some problems with my feet. And I've had some injuries that haven't healed. The, you know, the, 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 it hasn't healed up. And that's what he had back then. <clears throat> and I don't think he ever played again. He played about half that year. And then he never played again. Um, and then, uh, for some whatever, unforeseen, I don't know why they traded Ron Harper to the Clippers for, um, um, uh, man, uh, is a, uh, he was a former Duke player, but he, he was playing overseas. He didn't even report to the Clippers. So he was in Italy playing and we traded Ron Harper for him. And then everything kind of fell apart. And that was the end of that. That Cleveland, that was my second stint in Cleveland, which the first time fans were wearing bags on their head. The second time we were in the playoffs and they're going, we're an up and coming team. So, uh, but it just never worked out that way because of uh, Brad's injury and uh, Ron Harper trade, who that later that year blew out his knee in, 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 uh, with the Clippers. So, you guys did have a good uh, team in Cleveland. By the way, I'll, uh, my side note on that Michael Jordan shot, I was always very humored by the fact that uh, Craig E. Lowe's guard Michael Jordan at the end of the game. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I know you regret that too. <laughs> I, like, I like Craig. Yeah. I think there was, I think there was a better matchup during that game, but it worked out for us. Uh, we just shot right over him. And uh, who did you play that next round? Um, I did can't you? remember. I can't remember. We we had so I, many rivals back then, but getting past getting past the Pistons, getting past the Knicks. Yeah. Um, you know, we were everybody's game of the week, game of the month. If we went to the West Coast, we were the game of the year. Uh, so it was, uh, we just had to be ready to play. Yeah, we lost. I think the next round, we lost to the Pistons. Yeah, that, this that is, next round. Yeah, this is where a nightmare, too. So, but uh, but then so, so were we. We, yeah, we, for sure. Yeah, we had, I mean, we had 10 guys I could play. Yeah, and, and yeah, and everyone, you know, a lot of people like I've, I've. I've heard it, you know, you've coached for a long time and I've coached, you know, at, at for a long time. And it really cracks me up that um, some teams that are really good and they struggle and people say, you know what, uh, those they don't know their roles. You know, they don't know their roles. And, you know, uh, I always, they, they absolutely know their roles. I, I used to do a, um, when I coached minor league basketball in the D League or I coached up in Canada, we would run into that part of the season and I did a, uh, an exercise. So what I did was I would get all the assistant coaches in a room and we would meet and I would put everybody's name on the board, all the players. And I'd say, okay, there's three spots. Let's 
let's say the coach's idea of what that player's uh, role is, three things. You know, he needs to defend, he needs to be a vocal leader, and he needs to give his energy, whatever it was, and, or he needs to score, and he, whatever, and put three up, three for each player. Then I would cover those up, and I'd invite the whole team in. And then we sit down, and I'd uh, get player by player, go up on the board, and next to your name, write three things you think your role is. And they would write their three things up there. And then I would take the coach's ideas off. And 99% of the time, they're almost identical and for sure similar. So my idea is you absolutely know your role, but you don't accept your role. You need to accept your role. That's what I did for 12 years in the NBA. And that's one thing of great teams and your Bulls teams is everybody accepted their role. You know, and you can shine in different roles, but you accepted them. You know, and, and uh, that's what makes a great team. You know, as well as anybody, you're in some of the greatest teams ever. And, you know, you had 10 guys that to play, but 10 guys aren't playing. So some of those guys are going to have to accept that role of, hey, tonight I might play five minutes, but tomorrow night I might play 25. Who knows? You know, but that's my role. Yeah. And, and, and a big part of that is the acknowledgement of your role and how significant it is. And I think that that's where people really lose because they're sacrificing themselves and they feel like it and they're not acknowledged. Yes. So on our team, we're definitely acknowledged for the, you know, the fact that, you know, you're playing this role, um, you know, like uh, where we had BJ, well, BJ was a, BJ could really score, but he passed the ball and move it around. And, you know, whether it was Steve Kerr, whether it was John Baxson, who were great shooters, uh, we had great shooters, period, with uh, uh, Craig Hodges and uh, probably best shooter on the planet at the time. Uh, and then we had Trent, then we had Trent Tucker, who could shoot from half court. So, I mean, we had really, really good players. So, uh, but but the acknowledgement was was really big. So, always, now, now, let me ask you one thing is that you before, ended up. Well, before um, Novando, can I make a yeah. comment? Of course. The other, the other thing is, and what I noticed from afar, right, because we played you every year, you guys every year, I thought you made that huge step into the iconic teams you had because you know, we used to beat up on the Bulls all the time when I was in Milwaukee till I believe, you got better players, but also uh, MJ trusted those guys more. And, you know, being able to pass to Steve Kerr at the end of a game or Paxson at the end, of, that's when he became a nightmare to guard. We started trusting those guys. Yeah, he passed the ball. Imagine that concept. <laughs> yeah, what did I do? Pass the ball. <laughs> how many times? How many times? I know I did. How many times did I yell it out? Just pass the ball. <laughs> pass the ball, man. <laughs> so you ended up from Cleveland. Uh, is this right? You went to Golden State, and then you went to Quad City. I'll talk talk about yeah. that. Yeah. So uh, the last year in Cleveland, um, then I was a free agent again because. Uh, Brad didn't come back and they traded uh, Ron Harper and everything kind of got messed up. Uh, so they went a different direction. So that year I actually went into training camp with the Spurs at David Robinson and that group um, as going to be like a, vet, a veteran big backup guy. And uh, my knee was acting up and 
you know, it just wasn't quite right. And actually at the end, Larry Brown was the coach. And uh, at the end, they decided to keep uh, a rookie and save about 200 grand instead of keeping me on the roster. So they cut me. And then I tried to get picked up by a lot of teams. And I was home working out and working out three times a day in, in great, great shape. And no one would bite on it. And uh, finally, after Christmas, I just called Nell, Don Nelson up, Nellie, who's in Golden State, coaching a great team, run TMC, Tim Hardaway, Mitch Richmond, and uh, Chris Mullins. And, uh, you know, obviously thinking outside the box, come on, man, small ball wasn't created 10 years ago. Nelly ran it all the time, you know, and a point forward with Paul Pressey. But he had that Golden State Warriors with run. Those three guys, all, of, all three could score 30 or 40 points a game. They're capable of it. And a lot of times they did. So I just called him up because I knew the kind of guy he was. I said, hey, hey, Nelly, listen, uh, I'm in great shape. I said, you got a great team. Uh, you, could, you, you have some young players uh, at the big position. You could use a guy like me that's been in the playoffs before and can help you make that next step. I said, fly me to Golden State and let me try out. And uh, if, if, uh, if you like it and, they, and, and I fit, then, you know, sign me to a 10-day. If not, I will buy you dinner and as many beers as you can drink. You can send my butt home because <laughs> I knew he would, he would like that. And, and he did. And, you know, it was the middle of the season. Those guys weren't practicing a lot. So, you know, I got off the plane and went to practice. I was in great shape working out three times a day. And I kicked those, their guys' butts in practice because I was in better shape. And, uh, you know, I fit in with those guys. Those guys are great. So one of the, I had some great fun with Milwaukee and some other teams, but those guys were fun and fun to play with. I mean, go on the road with those guys, and they light a team up, and, and you hear the place go quiet. It was awesome. And so he signed me to a 10-day and then another 10-day and then the rest of the year. Uh, and we, uh, we were the seventh seed in the West, and we beat, we beat the Spurs who had cut me, by the way. <laughs> and we beat them in the first round. They were the second seed. And then we played the Lakers in the second round. And we actually won uh, the first game in L.A., but we ended up uh, losing that series. Um, and I think they went on to the finals. I don't know if they won it or not. Um, uh, but that was, you know, so that was, um, you know, kind of my last hurrah in the NBA. Um, and then the next year, uh, I went over and I played in, in France for about three or four months. Um, and it really didn't work out. It wasn't what I thought. Uh, and then when I came back, um, I had a chance or a choice. There's an investment group in Milwaukee that knew me well, wanted to invest in me to be a, you know, an investment broker type guy and train me. But I, my heart was in basketball. So I wanted to pursue that. So I went to Chicago pre-draft camp where all the coaches are, and, you know, trying to get a job. And, and uh, it was interesting talking to, to managers and players that I'd played for, played with, played with, played for with broken ankles. And they really didn't want anything to do with me uh, as a coach. So there were some smart guys there. Back then it was the CBA. It was before the NBA development league, now the G League. And that was the minor league. And, there were some coaches there that were watching what I was doing. And at the end of the weekend, when I almost gave up and went back to Milwaukee and, and just started uh, doing some training, uh, they, they said, hey, uh, 
how about you come play, you know, come with us and be a player coach, you know? And, uh, and in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I'm going to go there and learn how to coach and get a resume. And, and, but in their mind, I know it through it. I was more of a player than a coach, but that's okay. And I played, so I was a player coach in Quad City. And, and that year, I mean, whew, we had Chris, uh, Chris Childs, Harold Ellis, uh, Derek Strong. We had a really good CBA team and we made a run at it. And I really enjoyed it. And that's where I got the bug for coaching, being in a bit, you know, I love basketball. You love basketball. A lot of people love basketball, but to get to the point where we were, we are, or were, you know, where, hey, you're going to spend hours in a video room, breaking down film. Uh, you're going to break practice schedules. And I love that stuff. You know, I, I loved it. And that's how, you know, I became from a coach player. And then the next year I went as a full-time assistant to Hartford in the CBA. Uh, and uh, then I got the head job in Hartford and then coached in minor leagues for, for a while before I got with the uh, Dallas Mavericks. So talk about what was that like when you, um, because you were in the uh, CBA, <laughs> and then boom, now you're back in the NBA, but as a head coach, I know when I first did that, I was uh, I was more tired as an assistant coach than I was playing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so talk about talk about the difference of uh, coaching and playing. Absolutely. And you know, because you've lived it, as a player, you look over there at the assistant coaches and you go, damn, that's the life, man. They come to practice, they stand around, they run a few drills, and then they go home. Wow. That's a... <laughs> they don't know that the assistant coaches have been there for four hours, have broken down film, write reports, and afterwards, they're doing the same thing over and over again. <laughs> and and uh, when the players are on the plane sleeping, you're on the plane creating a scouting report or breaking down film to watch the next day. They don't see that. So that's absolutely the truth. And that, it's such a, it's interesting because back when we were coming out, there weren't many ex players that became real coaches. Now it's more, it's more accepted and more done. And, and you know, but back then it, it was just starting. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because I would see guys that, you know, are younger than me and that were players and come, I want to be a coach. And then after they get a touch of coaching, you know, for a few weeks, they're like, I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, you know, and then there's the travel. But, you know, in the CBA back then, it was literally, literally the second best league. I mean, there were guys that have been in the NBA, played overseas. There were men uh, trying to make a living and uh, trying to get back to the NBA or get a better deal overseas. And the competition and the talent was really, really high. The travel was really, really low. <laughs> so we're on we're on the worst flights ever. Um, it's interesting because uh, most of the team, like you're talking about Quad City and Rockford and, and uh, uh, La Crosse, Wisconsin, all these. And what they have in common is, well, you got to get somewhere. You got to go through Chicago to get there. You're on those little puddle jumpers. So, in the CBA, you on a, you know a, a Saturday morning or a you know whatever after games, you would see two or three or four CBA teams in the same airport going to different you know terminals. Or, and there were more trades done in the Chicago airport than there were on the phone back then in the CBA. I actually saw. I was watching a 
one coach traded uh, one of his players to another coach uh, and uh, had the players just switch tickets. So they just switch tickets. Okay, you go to that game now, you go to that game now. So, you know, it was it was really wild that way. But at the same time, though, it was like when you're a coach in the CBA, you have to do everything. You're the head coach. You have to be the head coach. You have to be the scout. You have to be the trainer guy. You have to be everything. So it taught you how to do breakdown film and do all that. But uh, I was talking to somebody the other day. I said, you know how you know? Because the Sweet 16 was played here in Vegas. And uh, the UConn team was staying at a hotel. I'm not going to name the name. And they, when they checked in, it was very good. The rooms were dirty, you know, and their stuff. So they actually moved out of that hotel into a different hotel. Well, mm-hmm. someone asked me, what's the worst? I said, you know you're in a, in a sketchy hotel when your door to your room opens up to the outside. Mm-hmm. There's snow blowing in under your door. And uh, your room service is a vending machine downstairs. That's when you're in, that's when you're in a sketchy hotel. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's definitely not the Ritz, but uh, you know. But remember, I always remember when I when we came in the league, um, we didn't stay at the best hotels. We stayed at the worst. We stayed at the best. But uh, I eat I eat a lot of meals at Denny's. Oh. And, and I still remember my favorite meal was the uh, Superbird super special. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, I remember back then we stayed a lot of Sheratons. I think they had some deal with Sheratons or something. And, you yeah. Know, and, yeah. I mean, now, I mean, you know, I mean, that's a, I was with the Mavericks for five years as an assistant coach and then Charlotte for a couple. And, you know, I, the difference, I mean, we flew commercial. We have back-to-back. We're on the first available house, so you got to get up at 5 a.m. I remember back when we started, you had to carry your shoes on the plane because if, if, if your stuff got lost, you still got to play. Um, and uh, now, you know, you fly on a private jet. Every masseuse and trainer is at your whim. You get great food on the plane. You get off the plane, you get on a bus, and they take you to the uh, Four Seasons where you go up to your room. And they bring your bags up to your room. And then you don't even carry your bag to the game anymore. Someone carries your shoes in a big bag. <laughs> I'm like, wow, this is a totally different world that they live in now. Um, and that's it's part of the reason why I understand people. And I'm one of them. You know, when they hear about this load management stuff, I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> load management. 